This is the Bart and Han Show on 98.7 ESPN. And what a beautiful day we have here in the greatest city in the world. Uh, temperatures, lovely, that the breeze is here. But the best part about it is when you wake up and you see, uh-oh, we've got football 72 hours from now. And as a Jet fan, this is the most excited I've been in 12 years. So we'll get into that as we progress through the show. Nick Wright going to join us at 1 o'clock. He's been down on the Jets predicting they're going to finish in last place in this division, which I can't quite figure out. But before he does his TV show, he's going to chat with us. 2.30, Brandon Jacobs, who I'm going to be starting a football show with next Sunday, 11 to 2, September 10th which will be exciting. So it's our you know, final tune-up before we get the festivities started. But, again, 2 3.30 today. Hit us up, 800-919-3776. A lot of football on the table. But before we get there, got to start with baseball. Yankees and Mets getting series wins this weekend. And, look, I don't want to be that guy complaining about wins because it comes across as just, you know, ill-timed. Not what you want. But it's not lost on me what happened at Minute Maid Park this weekend. Because, yes, the wins have been hard to come by for this team, as we've seen this year. But, you know, since 2015, the Yankees have been absolutely owned by the Astros. Can't beat them in a big spot. 2015, Dallas Keuchel shuts them down. And it's been heartbreak after heartbreak. 2017, you're up 3-2, get to a Game 7. Charlie Morton, Evan Gaddis. I mean, what are we doing? 2019, you know, the, the buzzer game with Altuve. Walk-off home run in Game 6. And the inning before, people forget, DJ LeMahieu hits the, the game-tying shot, which made it even more soul-crushing because you felt like you were back in the game and then immediately it was ripped from you. And then, of course, last year, the most embarrassing of it all, getting swept by that team. So, of course, once the game stopped mattering, the Yankees go up to Houston and beat them soundly. I mean, what a shame. It's their first series sweep of the Astros since 2013, so a whole decade since that has happened. And I'm thinking, man, where was this in in 15? Where was this in 17 and 19 and 22? But once the pressure is off, got no problem scoring runs, got no problem hitting home runs. So, yes, you'll take the win. It's a feel-good victory and, and series win. But it wasn't lost on me what happened. What I will tell you, though, know whose stock is rising right now? That would be that of Aaron Boone. Because if there existed this notion that the team had quit on him, it was belied by the fact that going into last week, the Yankees had won just one series since July. And it was, uh, you know, that series against Kansas City, the, the second worst team in baseball. But they ended up tripling that output by taking consecutive series, the last of which came in their house of horrors against that team in that building with everything to play for. The Astros right now are third in their division, a couple games back of the Mariners. And then you look at the wild card standings. They're third in the wild card, just a game up on the Jays but a game back of the Rangers for second place. They still have everything to play for, and it was a scary moment. You thought Jordan Alvarez last night had gotten hurt on that play in left field. He was okay, but the Astros need this series. The Yankees went in there and and tore them apart. And how'd they do it? Well, the list of bombers to hit two home runs in their first three games, Yogi, Joe LaFay, Aaron Judge, Jason Dominguez, 
That's the list. I mean, we talk about all of the, the pressure on this kid because of the expectations. And we had been hearing about him all season long and really for years now. And how he was, you know, running amok in the minor leagues. And it was finally his time to come up, th- uh, come up to the bigs and show what he was capable of. What a weekend for the 20-year-old. I mean, to have your first swing be a home run off of that pitcher in that ballpark, unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then to follow it up with last night, he hits a go-ahead run, uh, go-ahead two-run shot in the sixth inning against Christian Javier. Uh, it, it's just awesome to see this kid, and he's full of joy. You saw the family there. It, it's exciting time for, uh, times for Yankee fans because you, you marvel at the poise and the immediate production and so far how he's delivered. And coming up, you know, you say, well, what can you expect? He's very young. He's going up against great pitching. There is a difference, obviously, between uh, what he was plagued by in AAA and now what he's up against here in the majors. And so far, he's answered the bell. He's the the youngest Yankee to bat third in a starting lineup since Bobby Mercer did it in 66. And, uh, you know, that's more of a personal accomplishment than one for the Yankees. This wasn't part of their plan to have a 20-year-old batting third in their lineup. But, you know, at least for this weekend, you feel great about things. And watching Judge, captain, all smiles. You can see there's a different energy. He's having fun. He feels the pop and sizzle. And, you know, one thing for him, it's very depressing to just look at after he hit a couple more home runs this weekend, though what could have happened if he didn't get hurt, if not for running into that wall in, in L.A.? Because he'd be on pace for another 60-plus home run season and possibly challenging Shohei Otani for the MVP. So think about back-to-back 60-plus home run seasons, and it all goes to, to waste just because he had gotten hurt. And, you know, lo and behold, this has been something that he's faced in the past. Judge is injury-prone, and I, I get a lot of people are hesitant to label him that just because when you think of the phrase injury-prone, you'll, you know, think about it being more of a soft-tissue injury or like a hamstring or a calf. But, no, it's your propensity to get hurt. And this guy, that the last two years notwithstanding, has landed on the IL frequently. And we've seen it now twice this year. So you think about the what-if factor for Judge, and I don't think it changes anything as far as what the ceiling would have been for this team this year. Just frankly, they were not good enough. That There is a, a severely flawed roster they're running out there every day. But just individually, he could have put up some, some glorious numbers, and he continues to be one of, if not the best show in baseball. But for the Yankees as a whole and then for the fans, you know, we, we did the whole, why do you still watch the rest of the season? The team's not going anywhere. Well, you got the answer this weekend. With the surplus of young talent that they have at their disposal that we saw infused this weekend, a once dead baseball team now has some life, has some energy, and has given you a reason to be captivated. Now, the games are still meaningless, of course, and once you graduate emotionally from that, disappointment, you know, you're angry, you're infuriated watching everything that unfolded with the expectations that were put on you before the year. Once you try your best to graduate from that, you're faced with, look, it it is going to be a season or a a month-long evaluation of these young players, and it's now uh, you're in a space where you're going to determine if these guys are a part of the solution next year. Because you look at the roster, holes everywhere. Catcher. Last couple of years, the Yankees have just punted on getting production 
from their catcher position because you just felt great about the games they called and defensively how good they were. But it's time to turn the page on that. So catcher, third base, and left field, which they came into the season with holes, you know, which was a disaster. Center field, maybe first base. Who knows what the future holds for Rizzo? Second base, Gleyber Torres right now has been amazing. Hit a ho- another home run last night. And you could say, like, this as far as consistency, he's been their best offensive player. Uh, but with one year left of arbitration, his future is a giant question mark because you wonder if the Yankees right now, seeing that his trade value is the highest it has been probably since that 30 home run, 38 home run season, you wonder if they're going to use him to flip, to send to another team, so you can fill some of those holes, or do you lock him into a long-term contract? But that's going to be a, a, a question we have going forward. And then you look at, at the kids that we're watching, Peraza, Pereira, Wells, and Dominguez. The hope is that with all these holes you have to fill, maybe the answer is on your team. Maybe, you know, with respect to, you know, the, the task at hand and having to rebuild this roster on the fly with all the contracts you're locked into, maybe some of the answers are on this team. And we're going to get, again, a month-long evaluation of that talent and seeing if they're ready to come up here and be a difference maker going forward for this Yankee team. Because you look at the rotation, littered with question marks. Outside of Cole, who you got? And Garrett Cole, depressingly enough, is having a Cy Young award-winning season just wasted away. What's it going to result in? Nothing. So you go from last year where you got an MVP from your best player and judge. You're going to get the Cy Young from your best pitcher and Cole. And in that two-year span, you've got one playoff series win to show for it over the Cleveland Guardians. So it's, you know, you're wasting away precious years of your two best players. But outside of Cole, I mean, who else do you trust? Are you going to sit here and tell me that you're convinced we've seen the worst of Verdon and all of a sudden this is just going to get better? And I get you're encouraged by the fact that coming into this series, Houston was on a five-game win streak. They had scored 52 runs, so their offense was humming, and he helped halt that because of his— arguably the best performance that he's had in the Yankee uniform where he goes five innings, two runs. But are you going to pretend that he's just going to get older and healthier? We know he's got an injury history. And if you just think he's going to get better just because you want him to, that's silly. But for the Yankees, you know, the rest of the way, I think there is a massive difference between finishing above 500 versus below, even if it's a matter of two games. They've got 25 left on the schedule, so they go 14-11. and 11. They clinch their 31st consecutive winning season, and I think that's important because part of Cashman's selling point to how could be, look, all of the injuries we experienced, the roster, yes, was a mess. We got players who underachieved just significantly, and we found a way to, in the best division in baseball, still have a winning season. That's the that's the that's the the card he's gonna play, whether you like it or not. So I think there's a difference between that, which is interesting, because now it presents Yankee fans with the challenge of like, are you rooting for this team to win games, or you want them to lose? Because just 500, finishing above 500, there's a difference between that and having another winning season that he gets to tout. Because we're already hearing about the you know 16 games they've played uh, that were not meaningful, that where they were mathematically eliminated. Under his, under his watch, during his tenure. So we'll see what happens with the Yankees going forward. As far as the Mets are concerned, listen, Pete Alonzo, he's doing something. 
I don't know what it is, but it's something. Is it that he's raising his trade value? And it's going to necessitate teams having to give up much more than you anticipated if the Mets do dangle him on the market? Or is that price tag of the extension rising? Should the Mets give him one, which I think they should. So you look at you know both the Yankees and the Mets went from title contenders to sellers to now playing spoilers in September, which is you know quite the expensive fall from grace. We thought this is you know we would be gearing up for uh, what we hope for a long playoff runs for both these teams and maybe a, a possible Subway Series in the World Series, but we I think quickly learned that that was not going to be the case. But the Mets this past weekend get a series win over the Mariners, 6-3 to yesterday, and it was on the strength of Alonzo putting on a show. Two home runs, four runs batted in. He's now hit the 40-home run, 100-RBI mark for the second consecutive season. And you look at historically what happened. So he becomes the fifth player in baseball history with at least three 40-home run seasons in his first five campaign, uh, five campaigns, joining Hall of Famers Ralph Kiner, Eddie Matthews, Ryan Howard, and Albert Pujols. Okay, well, not impressive enough. How about the fourth player in Mets history with three 100 RBI seasons along with Wright, Beltran, and Strawberry? Here's my thing. That is production that you can't just dismiss. And this idea that you're going to take this guy and and trade him. Why? Because you don't pay first baseman big-time money? That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Just being the guy who says, you know what? We're just pushing that production to another team and going to replace it. It's just mind-boggling to me. Since he's come up, he's been your best player. And I don't even think it's particularly close. The next home run he hits will give him sole possession of second in a single season for a Met. Who is first? Oh, that's right. That would be Pete Alonso. So this idea that, yeah, we should entertain trading him, I just don't understand. This is a team that, right now should be developing talent and holding on to them once they pop, not trading them away. Because right now, yes, your title window has closed. When you became sellers at the deadline, you punted on the rest of the season. But you're hoping that at least in you know sometime soon, it opens up again. And I don't think you get closer to title contention by trading away your best player. That just doesn't make sense to me. Alonzo, since he made his debut and we removed the COVID year, the worst-case scenario is you're going to get 37 home runs from him. Best case is 53. So every year you're getting that level of production from this guy, and the move is to trade him? No, if I'm a Mets fan, that's not sitting well with me at all. No chance. No chance whatsoever. And all we hear, look, Rich Cohen, uh, 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 Steve Cohen, how, how rich he is, the Mets should not be getting outbid on free agents, especially ones that they drafted and developed. Trading away a guy who could be an MVP, who's on pace to hit 500 home runs. And look, if he continues, it sounds premature, if he continues on this pace, could be a Hall of Famer. Trading that guy away is ludicrous. Don't start penny-pinching now, Steve. Not with the best home run hitter in franchise history. I think the Mets should do everything in their power to retain this guy. He's a fan favorite. And you start to hear the, the rumors about you know him in the clubhouse, which that sounds like something that can be corrected. All I know is you watch this guy play. It's home run after home run. He gives you offensive production up there with the best in baseball. 
if you are trying to sell your fan base on us not being that far from being right back in the thick of things where we thought we would be this year and that is contending for World Series, you don't get closer to that by trading him away. So if I'm a Met fan, that would have me annoyed right now. 800-919-3776. We are rolling. Going until 3.30 today. Ty Butler filling in for Bart Hahn. I mentioned at the top of the hour, we will transition to football. NFL just 72 hours away, three days. Can you believe it? We are right there. Going to talk to Nick Wright about football, maybe throw some hoops in there as well. Brandon Jacobs is going to join us. Excited to have the football show start with him six days from now, debuting on Sunday at 11 a.m. That's after New York game day. Danita Marks, Amani Toomer, Mike Tannenbaum. But we're close. We've been waiting for this. And I blame the baseball teams because they were supposed to give us a summer of fun. Could have been looking at Alonzo and Judge challenge each other for the home run record. You know, great pitchers with Cole Verlander and Scherzer. Two excellent teams gearing up for pennant races and the part of the relay race that they were supposed to get to, the hand that baton over to football, they just stopped short. Way, way short. So I blame the baseball teams, but at least for right now, there is still some intrigue when you look at Mauricio, Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez with the Mets, and then you know on the Yankee side of things with Dominguez, Pereira, Peraza, who's starting to hit now. And, of course, you know, Cabrera could be in the mix there. We we cast him off just because, you know, he hadn't shown that he had the potential to be a part of the uh, of the future or be a significant piece on, on a team that's expected to win. But that's what we've now resorted to. We, we are watching these baseball teams that were so damn lousy. It is play spoiler and have the young players hit well. That's where we've got it. 800-919-3776. Feeling great today. Todd Butler going until 3.30 right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Bart and Han Show on 98.7 ESPN. It is the unofficial ending to summer, though, you know, the weather is, the summer weather is desperately trying to hold it on for dear life it's supposed to be gorgeous this week had a little bit of rain this morning but that has since cleared up so if you're on your way to the the barbecues us in the black coast we call it the cookouts on your way to a barbecue or a cookout have some fun appreciate you listening to the show joe leo who's on the board today i so i'm i'm walking to the station i had just parked and i feel great like the drive into the city on holidays and then nights, you know, when you do that 10 to midnight shift, it's, it's amazing because there's no traffic. You don't have to worry about anyone on the road. And, you know, the, the parking rules are suspended. Meters not in effect. So it's just an absolute joy. You, you're, you're in a great mood. And then instantly, once I get to the, the, the front the door, I'm reminded of something that had just annoyed me so much, like five minutes ago. And it's one of my biggest pet peeves. You pull up to a parking spot. And, like, the, the, the fire hydrant that just comes out of nowhere, where you feel like once you turn your head, they just dropped it there when you weren't looking. That's annoying. But I'm not talking about that. The, the, the person who walks to their car and you think they're leaving, but they're just going into their car to sit down, that's also annoying. But I'm not talking about that. It's the motorcycle that's sitting there that, like, if not for the motorcycle, is a legitimate parking spot. But just because of how much space it's taken up, it takes it from being, you know, from it being a parking spot to it being not one, and that happened right outside the station. I was very, very annoyed. It's like my biggest pet peeve when it comes to parking. 
So I think Julian can speak better to this because he also drove in today. You know the motorcycle I was talking about, Julian, right outside the station? The one I was talking about was on uh, 68th. Oh, no. So this one is on Columbus. I'm coming down 67 to make the left onto Columbus, and I eye the spot. I'm like, all right, this is, you know, this is awesome. Like to get a spot right in front of the building, that just tells you that it's foreshadowing of what's going to be a great experience. And then you get smacked in the face with the cream motorcycle. Yeah, I'm pretty used to like the hydrants. If there's any big gap, I'm like hydrant. <laughs> it has to be a hydrant. But this one was like car was blocking the. It was also not a motorcycle. It was a revel scooter, which oh, is even worse. Terrible. Right. What's man. worse than what's worse than that? And also for anybody, this goes to anybody in the country that that has like those uh, rented scooters, the, the little electric scooters. Can you stop leaving them in the middle of the sidewalk or the middle of the street or like someone's yard? That can there be like a collection point for these? Yeah. Like there is for city bikes. I, I hate these scooters, and people just leave them everywhere. And it just angers me to no end. Yeah, we got to clean up the streets. Another thing that annoys me is, like, the people who wait until, you know, the, the, the shot clock, the pedestrian walk shot clock that's, you know, coming down from 10, they'll wait until there's one second left and start, you know, running across the street. And then you look at me with the attitude as if I'm the one creating the infraction. No, that's you. You should know you're not fast enough to make it across the street in two seconds. No, see, for me, it's the it's the bikers who don't think that the stoplight applies to them, and they're just continuing. It happens, especially right outside the station. It happens every time I, I'm either leaving or coming in. I did, uh, Julian, looked like you wanted to weigh in on that. Oh, just on bikers. Literally today, this was another moped. Like, at a red light, just blew through the red light. Like, they, not a care in the world. Not even like, let me stop. It wasn't like it was just turned red and I was going too fast. Just too like, much arrogance. Whatever, I'm going. I miss when bikers were shy and insecure. Now they're just like walking around all boastful and arrogant like you won't get hit. I. It's something I ranted about when I was on with Dan Grosso on DPH on Rothenberg and we did the morning rows. The bikers, they just are, are, are like pests. They're like insects. You just can't get rid of them. And there aren't enough bike lanes on every street, especially where I live in Queens. So, you know, there are times where I'm driving and they're going like one mile per hour. And I've got to sit there behind them in the heat of traffic. I'm trying to get somewhere. I'm already impatient as it is when it comes to driving. And I got to sit there and deal with that. But that, that was my trip into the studio today, 800-919-3776. Aaron Boone yesterday weighed in on the first sweep in Houston since 2013. Look, I mean, obviously what we've been through this year, to play like we did in Detroit and then come here and, and obviously play a very good team in the middle of the division fight, wild card fight is nice. And just happy for those guys who have been grinding and continue to put in the work. And it's nice that we're seeing some results and it's a lot of fun to be a part of that. So I always get annoyed that we have to compliment professional athletes who are getting paid millions of dollars for grinding and for competing. That should come with the territory. Yes, the season has been lost, and it's an embarrassment of epic proportions. But I don't quite buy into this notion that we should praise them for doing what they should do. Uh, Here was Aaron Boone on Dominguez being comfortable at the plate. 
You know, Sean Casey talks a lot about slowing things down, letting go of anxiety when you're at plate. Anxiety is a, you know, your enemy as a hitter, and he's the opposite of that. He goes up there real cool, calm, and collected, you know, with a with a grin on his face, and there's no tension in what he's doing, and you sense that. That's what you watch when he plays the game, uh, that lack of tension, so it allows him to be free and easy. I love it. Uh, I'm not going to get too wrapped up in one series because we have seen in the past us Yankee fans prematurely coronate these young players. Like the baby bomb is 1.0. When we saw them first burst on the scene, we were excited. We were hyped about what the future looked like. And at the end of the season, you look up, there's one man left standing, and that is Aaron Judge. Because that was supposed to be the the crop of young players that was going to help take this team to its next iteration of the late 90s Yankees. And, Joe, you brought this up. We might have to change the nickname of uh, Baby Bombers. That didn't work the first time. Judge, Severino, Greg Bird. You had uh, Gary Sanchez, Clint Frazier. That did not work. It did not work. You've, you've regre- All of those guys outside of Judge regressed. So we might have to change this nickname up. You got anything for me? I might by the end of the show, but it's just like the New York Sack Exchange with the Jets pass rush. Like, can we just have a new nickname? Can we be original for once? Can we stop recycling old nicknames, please? Problem is it's been so long. Like, we haven't had to, like, go through that exercise. Like, it's been so long since we had young players to be excited about. This organization, I think one of the biggest indictments is you've had – the lack of player development. Like we rightfully criticize Cashman for the bad trades and the you know the free agent contracts, but the lack of development, being sold on marquee, you know, burgeoning stars who you just wouldn't trade for anyone because you thought that they were gonna be uh, blue chippers for your organization, and for them to never ever materialize and to become that great player you expected. It's something that we have to also enter into the conversation of what we criticize this general manager for. Or the core four. Like, I don't want to hear uh, uh, you know, core four that. That's 2.0. No, it's legendary. We, no, but so is the New York Sack Exchange. Oh, yeah, of course. I, I'm not at no point this season should any Jet fan call oh, that defensive line the Sack Exchange. That That's disrespectful. I, I get wanting to pay homage. You know, it's been a long time since you've been this excited, but. Yeah, I, I think the core four and sack exchange, that would be very, very disrespe- disrespectful. 800-919-3776. Let's go to Rob in New Jersey. He bats leadoff with Barton Hahn today. What's up, Rob? What's going on, Ty, man? We've uh, we've interacted a few times on Twitter, so I definitely appreciate you, my man, and I, I enjoy your work, man. You're, you're pretty dope to, to listen to and, you know, interact with for sure. Appreciate so you, bro. I have a question for you. Man. All right, let's no, hear absolutely it. Absolutely, no problem. So I've noticed lately, and, uh, and Michael K mentioned this, I want to say a week or so ago, but have you noticed in the post-game interviews um, that Aaron Boone's like energy or mentality is a little bit different? He seems way more chill. Like he's not really that uptight anymore. So like, do you think that he knows his like future moving forward? That like he's either he knows that he's either being fired or that he knows for a fact no matter how the season ends that he's safe and he's back next year? I think there is something to that, and I appreciate the call, Rob. I did hear Kay when he returned to the show on Friday. He was talking to Don about, you know, he's noticed that his his tenor is a lot more different. It's more lax. He's not, and not that he was ever edgy, but you saw some angst and anxiety. And how could you when your team had won one playoff, uh, one series, I should say, since July? 
Uh, so I think there might be something to him knowing his his fate, whether that is if he's being retained or fired. But then you you look at the report that came out last week, you know that Howe's going to bring in a, a third party to evaluate the organization and look at their analytics department. Now, does that mean that both Cashman and Boone are safe and they're just looking to make changes you know, as far as how they interpret and look at the numbers? Maybe. But to me, I've always felt like it was a, a tad bit ridiculous to say Aaron Boone doesn't deserve to get fired. Like he's a fine manager, but when you start throwing the term great manager, I just don't see it. I, I, I don't see great manager. I've never... Once at the end of a playoff series, thought, well, boy, you know, Aaron Boone, that that was great managing by him. And I, I just feel like it's hypocritical to when every time a Yankee fan criticizes some in-game decision he makes, you're met with, well, that's organizational, doesn't fall on Boone. But we then have to give him credit for the things that go well. I don't think that's fair. If we're going to praise him for the Yankees in four straight years making the playoffs, which is the first time a manager has had that happen on his watch you know, in, in his first four seasons, if we're going to give him praise and adulation for that, the counter is when things go poorly, he should be criticized for it. And by the way, another thing, not to rain on his parade. I, Boone's a good guy. This is nothing personal. I think he's been fine. But when people say, oh, he's made the, 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 the playoffs four straight years, it's also not very likely that you get – a manager gets fired after his team reaches Game 7 of a championship series, especially with that young group that Girardi had. It was very unique. And I think I remember Howe saying that even if the Yankees had won the World Series, uh, Girardi was still going to be let go. So he inherited a great team that was primed for takeoff, which put him in position to have, you know, with the luxury of being you know, a part of the Yankees where you have the ability to to spend on top of having that young core, it afforded him the possibility to go on a run where he's making the playoffs. So I don't want to—I don't want to take credit from from him for what he's been able to accomplish. But this idea that he doesn't deserve to be fired. Yes, when your team is in last place, you have to wear some of that. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Let's go to Dave in New Milford. What's up, Dave? Hey, Ty. What's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, brother? So I'm not going to be one of these Yankee fans that after sweep in Houston, oh, we're going to make a run to the playoffs, all that. But I feel like the expectation now going into this week changes. You got very winnable games against Detroit and Milwaukee, and then a big four-game series against Boston. I uh, just want your take. What do you think a successful week uh, for the Yankees is this week? I think they could. I think five and one is realistic with the way they're. Dave, playing. let me what ask you, you something real quick, and I, and I say this with all due respect. I, I really want to ask you this question. It's Labor Day, so I would assume you got plans for the. Are you are you, are you someone who worked today? You're off. Like, what's your situation going on at home? So I'm a teacher. Okay. So I, I go back tomorrow. Oh wow. Shout out to all the teachers out there getting ready to educate the youth. Dave, so the reason why I ask you that is because have you been drinking today? You got the tequila in your system? Shot o'clock? Smoking <laughs> no, on man, the smoking on the loud pack? <laughs> no liquor today. No liquor today. Well, because what the hell are you talking about? You think the Yankees, the conversation has changed. They, they might be able to go on a run. They're still eight games back of the Astros for the third wild card spot. Still behind both Boston no, 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 and no. Toronto. Ty, I think you got me wrong. I'm saying I'm not going to be that fan saying they can make a run, but 
you know, what's to say they can't have another successful week and then maybe, you know, teams are losing and put some pressure on teams. Uh, listen, uh, I, I, I don't see it happening. Look, I appreciate the call. And again, shout out to the teachers getting ready to go back to school. Uh, yes, you've got the Tigers coming up. You just beat them three or four. You got Milwaukee. Josh Donaldson, I think, just signed with the Brewers. Right, Joe? So uh, that has a three-home run game written all over it for for Donaldson. The Red Sox, you go to Fenway Park, haven't been able to beat them this year. So I'm not going to put too much stock into, yes, they've won, what, six of their last seven games. And the one game they lost was in extra innings on a bad throw. Not putting too much stock into that. The... I guess the transition now becomes, yes, plain spoiler, as you did this weekend in Houston, which is depressing. Now you've resorted to that. Uh, but, no, there is no way I'm looking at this Yankee team and saying, oh, I don't know, they could have a great week and then put to other, another great week. We, we did that all season long at nauseum until we were faced with the harsh reality that this team just isn't very good. Great series win against the Astros. Phenomenal. First time you swept them since 2013. Would have been nice to have this type of resistance, you know, all the years you played them in the playoffs, but you'll take the win. But I think the most important aspect going forward is the month-long evaluation of Dominguez, of Pereira, of Peraza, of Wells, seeing if these guys are part of your solution or maybe, just maybe, you know, they can be had in a big trade for somebody. You attach them to an asset or a contract you're looking to get rid of. Uh, get rid of. So that's, to me, what you're looking forward to the rest of the season. Back to your phone calls when we return. 800-919-3776. The Major League playoff picture is interesting, and I wonder if it could change how the Yankees view things when they have that conversation, you know, Howell and, and Cashman st- start talking about, you know, what went wrong this season. Looking at the playoff picture, something interesting is happening that I think we should pay attention to. So we'll talk about that coming up right here on 9870 ESPN. Let's go, baby. Obviously, we're, we're in it to win it. This is the Bart and Han Show on 98.7 ESPN. Alan Han and Bart Scott both on vacation last week. Han actually joined me on the show on Saturday, and we had a blast. So I know you guys are looking forward to hearing back from the guys. 800-919-3776. Before we get back to the phone calls, Joe Leo, I am now realizing that there's some self-reflection that's needed because the past couple of weeks I've been getting hit hard with, like, things that I do that, you know— annoy people and it's it's causing me to say i've got to make some changes to my life so it, gordon does this thing where explain it to me it's a job interview and he asks two questions so gordon has a piling list now of interview questions that he would ask before the interview starts and the number one question is do you have easy pass if the answer to that question is no nice seeing you please leave the second question is, do you return your cart? He used Costco, but we'll just... Any supermarket. Any supermarket. Do you return your cart after you put your groceries in your car? And I got to admit that sometimes I do get a little lazy, and I'll, I'll leave the cart right in the adjacent parking spot. And I guess my excuse is trying to get all these bags into which is ridiculous. They're using paper bags now. So it's like paper bags that come with holes at the bottom of it because by the time you get home, they're just pouring through the bottom of the bag. But between loading the car with the groceries and the two kids and, you know, maybe a stroller, takes a lot out of you. Once you get to having to return the cart, not all that interested in doing that sometimes. 
Got to be honest. And if that makes me a bad person, I apologize. I promise to be better. But it's just something that, you know, you, you, I've become too lazy, I guess, in that regard. I got to be better. So I was at the grocery store last night, and same thing. They were just piling it up in the back of the parking lot, just carts, just everywhere. And there were about 10 spaces that had a cart. So it's either one of two problems. People are incredibly lazy and don't want to return their carts. Or there are just not enough cart returns in the parking lot. Maybe that's, let's go with that because it makes me feel better as a person. Now, the other thing is, and, and I was Grasso, I was doing the show with him a couple weeks ago, and <laughs> he randomly talked about like one of his biggest pet peeves is when he's out in public and you have those people who are playing music loudly on their phones. And I'm like, man, that's so interesting. I was just at the beach the other day and I'm that guy who wanted to play DJ and I put the tunes on. Well, that's different. If you're at the beach and you got a speaker, just not like blare it where like a half a mile away I can hear your music. But if you want to play your music, fine. Just play it at like reasonable because I do the same thing. But, I, but even sometimes with the FaceTime, like you'll get the FaceTime call. I don't have the beats on me, AirPods. You know, I, it's not within, you know, within distance for me to get within distance for me to reach it. So I'll just answer the FaceTime. And the conversation will go like 30 to 45 seconds. It's not too long. But there are times where I've had public conversations where, you know, it's on speakerphone so everyone can hear it. And I guess that's annoying. I have two places where I just can't stand it. One, on the bus. Because I take the bus from upstate. And there are people who take the entire hour, hour and a half bus ride on the phone. Can't stand those people. The other one is when you're in line ordering food. Can we just stop yeah, that's the annoying. conversation for five seconds, yeah, when you're, order whatever the heck you want, yeah, and, then, yeah. and then while you're waiting for your food, continue your conversation? You're already hungry, so there's the impatience level there, and then you have the people who get to the front of the line. They start fumbling with what they want to order. They, now they start to look at the menu. I get it. I, I, that's not me. But just doing a little self-eval as we get closer to uh, fall cleaning, if you will, just cleansing myself out. Making sure that I'm as good of a person as I need to be. 800-919-3776. Allen's in Uniondale wants to talk hard knocks. What's good, Allen? Yo, what's going on, my guy? What's up, man? Dude, let's let's be sure that we got it out of our system I Saturday. I, I, I don't yeah. want to bring up what happened, what transgression it was, but we got it out of our system, and now we're ready to be, you know, to articulate ourselves on, on FCC air, airwaves. All right, let's do that. Let's do that. And shout out to the company. You know what I'm saying? Heard that, heard that. All right, cool. But nah, but bro, all right, you're not wrong about what you... I want to go back to the whole bike stuff and, like, the... I remember I was pulling up at Lonnie's house, right? Like, pulling up at Lonnie's spot? Bro, why are people, like, like using the motorcycles in the street? Like, in the street, bro, put that on the sidewalk, gang. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and also, like, there are a lot of people who I'm noticing have garages but would rather park their cars, like, outside on the street, which uh, is another thing that's mad annoying. Uh, it's annoying. It, yes, it's annoying. And I'm from Long Island, so I have to go all the way to Harlem. So it's like, ugh, ugh. Yeah, it's it's wild. And Lonnie knows this, and I know he's hearing this. So <laughs> now I'm going to go to this hard knock stuff, though. Yo, why didn't you bring this up? So, like, I was watching Hard Knocks, right, because I just watched the, the fourth episode yesterday. Yeah. And um, so no one brought up Rob Sala going into, like, the into Jersey with the whole oh. Sopranos intro. Yeah, that was dope. That was dope. Yeah, that was like, cool. That's I like what that. I wanted to bring up, and I'm surprised you didn't talk about that. Yeah, I, it, it slipped my mind, Alan. I appreciate the call. It slipped my mind. That was cool. Uh, uh, Joe says it was corny. No, I loved it. I actually just, for the first time, and I say just, 
Uh, but during the pandemic, you know, when sports weren't going on, it opened up some time to, you know, watch some things that you hadn't. And Sopranos was was definitely at the top of the charts for me. And, you know, it became instantly, I, I think it is definitely up there with Breaking Bad as one of the greatest shows of all time. Uh, and it was cool to see that in Hard Knocks, that, that the intro, the theme, where it just got you ready. It got you ready. I, I, I love it. Why is it corny to you? Can we, maybe it's just because it's ready for Jets Giants. Can we do that for like a, I don't know, playoff game or a big game, game one against the Bills? It's, it's hard knocks, man. What, what do you expect? They're trying to, they're trying to appeal to a certain audience. They're and trying to incite a, a certain emotion from the base. And using that theme, people, you know, people know and associate it with the show. So I, I have no issues with that. I think you're trying too hard to be mad. It's just, it's I'm not mad at it. it. It just came off to me a little bit corny. I hear you. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. So I teased this about the baseball playoff picture. Uh, I went back and, and looked this up yesterday as, as I'm watching the Astros get swept, and that, there is a chance they missed the playoffs. There is a chance the Astros missed the playoffs. As I mentioned earlier in the show, you look at the old standings in the wild card: the Rays, Rangers, Astros. That's one, two, and three in the wild card. Uh, but the Blue Jays, right on the heels of Houston. Just one game back in the loss column. And their excuse would be uh, both Altuve and Jordan Alvarez missed some time. Christian Javier, who was great, uh, has not been as of late. So that that could be something that, you, you know, you look at the Astros and, and on the broadcast yesterday, uh, the announcers mentioned having a conversation with Dusty. And he says they're more, the players, he wished they would have more urgency because they're just like, relax, we'll be fine. I mean, hard to... Get all that at that worked up when you're coming off of winning a, a World Series, so I understand that. But of the of the ten highest payrolls in baseball, only four teams are currently in the playoffs: the Rangers, fourth highest; Phillies, fifth highest; and the Dodgers, who are sixth highest, along with the Astros, who are seventh. So four of the top. 10 highest payrolls in baseball are currently in the playoffs. And to me, this is the driving home point uh, that simply outspending everyone, as we know, isn't the formula that it once was. It used to work, but it's no longer the case. With the infusion of analytics and, you know, parity, I think it's created such a different uh, challenge for teams. It's never been more important to have the absolute best minds as part of your operation because, it, it, you got to identify the talent both internationally and, and, and throughout the draft, grooming them, developing them, but you can't get too obsessed with the numbers. So you really do have to find that healthy hybrid and you know formula that includes the ability to utilize those numbers but also have guys do what they do best. Like don't try too much to change their swings. And if you can identify a player on another roster – uh, that has numbers who the you know the general public's not looking at, but you feel like you can maximize it. Uh, that's what you have to do, and it's, I think it's something that the Yankees have failed with because you, you looked at um, you you looked at Sonny Gray for example. Like he's the, he's a really good pitcher, and the numbers would tell you that. But obviously, he didn't have a a stomach for uh, didn't have a stomach for New York, and there are other players that have fit that bill. Where you look at them and you say maybe there's a chance that they can come here and we can unlock whatever potential they have, but it just doesn't materialize. Same happened with Joey Gallo, right? Everyone, he was like analytics' favorite player, favorite player, and he was a bust. But I think as far as the Yankees are concerned, this is the type of thing that could help Cashman. If you have all of these teams with high payrolls, 
missing the playoffs. You can say, hey, look, look at all the other squads. Spent money, had high expectations. We weren't the only ones who got it wrong. It was an odd year, rash of injuries. Can't expect Judge to miss half the season. Can't expect Radon to miss half the season. Garrett Cole's awesome. We'll see what we get out of these young players. Rizzo will be back. So there, you can see what his blueprint would be for convincing how he should be retained. I don't think there's going to have to be a lot of persuasion. You get the feeling how does not want to fire Cashman. He doesn't want to do it. He does not want to do it. I think it would have been easiest for him to let him go, let him walk at the end of last season. All right, you've had a great run. Was it 26 years you've been with this team? It's time to move on. Time for a different voice, time for a fresh voice to get into you know this organization so we can spice things up a little bit. Two things can be true, and I keep saying this, because everyone wants to go to, well, if you're killing Cashman, it's disrespectful. Look at what he's done for the organization. Uh, yes, he's been tremendous. He's an all-time great. He, if there was a, such a thing for having your monument and, and, and you know, monument park for a general manager, Cashman should be there. But what's also true is the last couple years, going back to 17 when they were supposed to be primed for takeoff, he just hasn't had the ability to make the move or put together a team good enough to win a championship. And every single year we hear the excuses about all the injuries. I've watched the Braves lose their best player, win a World Series. So don't give me that. Don't give me how tough the division is. This division's not getting any easier. It happens. You have the second highest payroll in baseball. You should not miss the playoffs. So I think it's time to move on from him. I think it's time to move on from Boone and bring in some fresh voices. Maybe you're not as far away from this team being fixed. And again, I don't want to overreact to just one weekend, but when you look at the surplus of young talent, there's a case to be made. Maybe they'll fill some of those holes. But right now, I think it's time for a changing of the guard, this team going in a new direction. And then I think even if you have to tear it down for a couple years, Yankee fans would be able to exude a little bit more patience because they're just sick of Cashman. So they would afford that next guy to come in and have some more time. But we'll see what happens. Coming up next, I'm excited to do this. Nick Wright joins us. We're going to argue about the Jets. Have some fun talking football right here. Bart and Han, 98.7 ESPN. This is the Bart and Han Show on 98.7 ESPN.